0: Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Father, we thank you that we can study your holy word and we hold it high. We realize in a world where everyone is challenging authority and we're, we're, we're questioning the authority of government, we're questioning the authority of, of schools and, and parents and, and who's to tell me what to do. And God, we bow our knee before you and before your holy word to say there is an authority in my life, and I don't get to pick and choose. And so speak to my heart by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're studying the transforming life, and the next question is, so where do we go from here? We've studied the Apostle Paul's thinking, and, and what I have noticed is that most books on spiritual formation uh, usually take me off to be alone, where I'm now uh, not the fool on the hill, but hopefully the wise guy on the hill that's meditating, I'm fasting, I'm in solitude. By the way, we'll get to that next week. We, there, are a, there is a place for spiritual disciplines, and I'll talk about that next week as we look at Jesus going off from the multitudes to, to refresh his soul. So there is a place for that, but that's where the books almost spend the bulk of their time and then I read the book throw it against the wall and I say but that's not my life I am in the midst of the fast lane and I need to know how to live the transforming life in the fast lane well thankfully Paul takes us there in the fast lane and it's so it's not this thing where you're almost perfect by yourself by the way when I was a sophomore in college, I lived this solitude life. I would go to class. I didn't want to be distracted by all the other students and all the other activities and everything else. I'd just go to class, go back to my room, pray, meditate, study, go to class, go back to my room, prayer, go to dining commons, eat in nine minutes, go back to my room. And and do you know, I was almost perfect? (laughs) Truly. I, I think I was. I thought I was. I thought, you know, I, I don't feel like I, there's any greed in my heart. I don't feel like there's any envy. I've just And then I started hanging around with people. <laughs> and at first I thought people were the problem. You know, they're making me sinful. Well, you get the drift. It's it's easy to be almost perfect by yourself. So Paul takes us in a different direction entirely. And He reminds us that if we're becoming like God, God is never alone. Have you ever thought of that? I mean, you could tweet that. That, That's tweetable. God is never alone. Never has been alone. If you believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they've been honoring and loving one another in that triune uh, group relationship, they're the ones that said, let us make man in our image so they can enjoy what we enjoy. They're the ones that said, let's create so that man can enjoy this. create." They're the ones that said, uh, it's time to send Jesus. It's time for him to be crucified. It was this... Godhead group that was never alone. And the face of God is experienced best, not alone, but with people, with other people. So let me go back and catch Paul's train of thoughts for some of you who just showed up at the train station and you're thinking, where, what is this all about? Let me just go back and read two verses, and then we'll dive into this morning's text. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Stop conforming to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let me take you back to the transformational cycle that we were considering in these two verses. Paul says, in view of God's mercy, God's love, that's, we never lose sight of God's love. We're not performing for it, it's in response to it. We offer ourselves. And this is the choice we make. If you don't, there is no neutral. If you're not offering yourself to God, you're offering yourself to something else. And that's usually where our vices come in. Our attitudes, our addictions, all of our vices, we're offering ourselves, the parts of our body, to those things. So he says, don't do that. You have a choice. You are free in Christ. And stop conforming to the pressures of this world to think and be like everybody else, to be approved and loved. But now, have your mind renewed. And that's a process that's ongoing. And out of the renewed mind, we now can make new choices. Where he says, we'll be in the moment and we can make wise decisions. What is good, pleasing, and perfect uh, in terms of God's will. So where does this renewed thinking go? And Paul takes us to a surprising place. He takes us in the direction of practical love. I love that because it's not what I expected. He takes us in the direction of, first of all, saying to us, this is going to be less about you and more about others, i.e., humility. So C.S. Lewis says this, humility... Is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. <laughs> Only Lewis can do that, right? So we read in verse 3 For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has d- distributed. To each one of you, Paul is not saying first of all, stop being such an egoist, uh, because how do you stop? <laughs> you concentrate on yourself there 's no way to, to stop thinking about yourself The moment you wake up you look you don 't look at someone else 's face in the mirror, you look at yourself in the mirror, you consider not what someone else is going to wear, you, what I'm going to wear. Not where someone else is going to wear, where I'm going to go. So it's really hard to stop thinking of ourselves. I don't think Paul is telling us that. It's almost to be inhuman. But I want you to notice what he says here, because I think he's pay, playing off of what he'd already told us. Have a renewed mind so there is a new way of thinking even about myself. So he uses this word four different times in verse 3. The Greek word is phronane. Phronane is the word from which we get our word phrenology, the study of the bumps on your head. (laughs) Um, Yes, thank you. (laughs) So phronane just simply means to think. So Paul says here, don't phronane about yourself, hyperphronane more highly is literally hyperphronane, which is excessive thinking uh, than you ought, but rather phronane of yourself with sophronane, which is wise thinking or sober thinking, sophos. So it's an obvious play on words in the Greek for us to realize that there's a new way of thinking in town. And this renewed thinking cuts to the core of everything, selfism in general. I like this picture about a kid looking through a magnifying glass because that's how the whole world is, right? The kingdom of self. Um, it's, it's everywhere. We see it in politics, don't we? Everybody's stepping on the head of everybody else to get to where they need to go. We see it in Hollywood. Uh, in, in Washington, we see it all over the world. We see it in our neighborhoods. We see it in ourselves. It was in the Pharisees. Selfism thrives within church, and selfism creates uh, glory hogs. It, uh, you know, in, in sports, the, the guy or gal that has to have the ball all the time, give it to me, give it to me, I'm amazing. I fly through the air with the greatest of, God. I will score the points because I am so amazing. So now that you're following Christ and you're, you're pursuing this transforming life, he's actually saying Stop it. That's not how it works. You don't have to be super saint. Take the cape off. That's so freeing for me because, you know, there's a part of me that wants to rescue the whole world. There's a a Messiah part of me that says, coach, send me in. I'll do it. Even if I bleed, I'll do it. Uh, But he's, he's saying, it's a new way now. It's not through the kingdom of self. This idea of solo transforming is an oxymoron. We don't transform by ourselves, for ourselves. We transform together. By the way, did you know that there's a growing body of research research that I thought about years ago, and I thought, why did not anybody study that? And finally, they are. And here it is, that the people that are in therapy, that are going to fix themselves to find out what got broken and, and all of that kind of stuff, that they heal faster if, while they're going to therapy if they're doing something for someone else. It's because... We're in the image of God, and God does things for other people. So if you're going to get well, you'll start looking like God, and God serves other people. Now, I understand there's some people that are prone to codependency and rescuing, and, and this falls right into the trap of their thinking, where they say, yes, you're, you're right, i got to go rescue some more people. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that, that we heal better individually when we're not behaving individually, when we behave in a way that gives ourselves away for other people. Those of you that know me, you know that uh, when it comes to sports, I usually don't pay attention to them until we get to the playoffs, and then I'm an avid fan and I don't miss any game. And so here we are, baseball, playoffs, and now we're finally into the World Series, and the two teams I wanted to be there are going to be there. And it doesn't matter how it comes out, my team will win. Because I want the Sox and the Dodgers, who are my, like my second and third and fourth backup team. Padres first, but I often do need a backup team. I, but their day is coming, I'm telling you. They're, get ready. In about two years. (laughs) But I was remarking, you know, I remember when Roger Clemens was throwing 95, 96 miles an hour, and of course now we know there's some steroids involved, and and we just just think, how can anyone throw a ball that fast, and how can a batter see the ball? You know, I, I would have to start swinging when the... Pitcher is walking out from the dugout <laughs> to get to the mound. Have you ever gone to a batting cage? I'm telling you, I'm looking at the thing and I say, I think it's starting, to, and, and it's only throwing 75. And I think it's going to release pretty soon, so I start swinging, and and sometimes I hit it. <laughs> so now they're throwing not only 97, 98 miles an hour. But I'm hearing the announcer say, that was 102, that was 101, that was 100. I'm thinking, that I mean, that is a bullet, and you're supposed to swing and hit it. How does that happen? Now that you understand how fast the ball is coming at you, and it's, it's sometimes curving, sinking, now imagine this. The announcer says, this player is hitting... Three thirty-four in the playoffs. That's 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 one third of the time he gets a hit at that speed, and they'll say he's seeing the ball well in the playoffs. And some of the people will say they're seeing the ball so well they see the seams as it comes across the plate the human mind to be able to slew things down so it's coming across the plate, and I'm seeing everything, and I swing. That boggles my mind. I just shut my eyes and move the bat. (laughs) Seeing life clearly is something we all want, Because life is just going by us so fast. And we do things just by rote, uh, shoot from the hip, respond just like our parents did. And before you know it, someone's at my funeral. And I ask myself, how could I have lived better? So I see life crisply, clearly, and I I make the decisions I want to make. That's the transformed life. How do we make? those decisions and i realized that as i look back in my life the times that i have saw, seen life crystal clear has been at funerals where there's something that wakes up in me and says you mean we die <laughs> you mean we just don't go through because you know when you're in high school college you don't know you die you just you live life and 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 something wakes up and says whoa we die We're terminal, we're finite. And now I begin to look at life like a baseball player looking at a ball. I need to see the seams and make some good decisions. I think at weddings, I think at the birth of children, it it wakes something big inside you. When you get fired from a job, it's just, whoa, this life is dangerous. A major injury, surgery, all of these things Slow life down for a moment where you see it crystal clear and you rearrange your life in those transformational moments and then you move on again. But hopefully, those adjustments are the ones that carry on through the rest of life. And Paul is saying to you, here's a major adjustment. Major adjustment is forget what the world taught you about yourself, and think soberly now about yourself. You're not the Messiah, there is a God, and the vote is already in, it's not you. (laughs) But you have an important role, but it's not gonna be king of the mountain. So now he takes us into this whole new way of thinking. For just as each of us has one body with many members, These members do not all have the same function. For in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy accordance with with your faith. Serving, then serve. Teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So what's the point here? Uh, yeah, we need to find out what our gifts are, and there's a myriad of passages, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, various passages that you can go and explore, and I encourage every one of us to explore, and, and not only look at the different gifts that are out there, supernatural and more natural type gifts, but equally uh, experiment with them. Try them out. How did that work? I remember when I first started teaching, someone came up to me, very close to me, my wife, and said, uh, are you sure you have the gift of teaching? (laughs) You know, and it was a good question. I I was a horrible teacher, you know, But you need to experiment. You're not always the best at everything from the beginning. So, with that in mind, Paul says we work interdependently with one another. This is the new humble way of thinking. It's a team, it's volleyball, it's baseball, it's not solo where you now are on the U.S. track team, but you could care, about, care less about the U.S. because you are going for your world record. It's not that anymore. It's all team. So it's not independent and it's not dependent where you're dependent on everybody else, but it's interdependent where we all have a part to play. One of my favorite movies of old time is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. You know, I just, I wish I could get that gold certificate and go visit this Oompa Oompa factory. And what I love about the factory is all these, uh, what are they called? The, uh, the Oompa Loompas? Yeah, thank you, you get an A, you get a gold certificate. so the Oompa Loompas, they're all doing their part. Oompa, oompa, dippity-doo, dum-dum-dum-dum. You know, and, and, and what happens is, is the, the children that are egoists, and the parents are encouraging the kids in the movie to be egoists, uh, they lose. And Willy Wonka is looking for humility, for someone who would just play their part, Orchestras are the same way. You can imagine. You play the tuba. Boom, Or you play the timbrel. And you're thinking, I only have this little part at the end of the the entire symphony. Bing! <laughs> and so you decide to start binging through the song. Bing, 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 bing. Or the tuba. Boom, boom. You know, it... It's distracting. It's obnoxious. But it's my gift. But God gave me this gift. If I can't use this gift here, I got to go to another church where I can do my gift. It's not the way it works. There's a great player that made a great catch last night, Chris Taylor. This amazing catch that saved the Dodgers last night. And... Uh, So I looked him up, and, you know, this 24-year-old is from Virginia Beach. He was a champion wrestler, state champion wrestler, decides to play baseball. He eventually goes to University of Virginia. He's a shortstop. He's third string. And now he's a sophomore. He's second string. Finally he gets to play But they have to move him To second base For him to even play Because they have Such an amazing Shortstop Playing there And then eventually He goes up uh, To the majors Plays some minor ball and, And now he's at the Dodgers He goes in last night At left field Very much A utility player That just says Send me in coach I'll play whatever Needs to be And I think That's the attitude, where, yeah, you have your gift, and this is how God normally uses you, but you're kind of on call for whatever because you're a part of the team. So if you leave here and someone gets run over by a car and they say, pray for my healing, you say, sorry, I don't have that gift. (laughs) Well, then call the doctor. I don't have that gift. Uh, I have the gift of giving or administration. For heaven's sakes, do something. Or someone's carrying a table and you say, um, you know, God gave me a word for you. A word of knowledge. You're working too hard. I just want to say, well, I have a word for you. Pick up the other end of the table and help me carry it. Because the attitude We can't use gifts to reemphasize ego. Isn't it funny how we do that? We say, wow, have you seen my gift? (laughs) My precious. (laughs) It's not a a spiritual curiosity. It's a practical functioning thing for the team. And we all get to grow in these gifts. So you're not a a one solo person person anymore. You're a part of a team. By the way, uh, I'm sorry, all this baseball stuff, but, uh, you know, since Dave Roberts has to, happens to be a North Countian, uh, I think someone told me lives in Cardiff, um, you know, they were talking about him last night after the game, and they're saying, you know, the Dodgers are so layered with egos. I mean, they, they said second and third string could be a World Series team, uh, so much money is poured into the Dodgers. Dodgers and Yankees, two highest-paying teams. So, but he says, only Dave Roberts could manage the egos that are on the Dodgers, and he does it through humility. That every player that's sitting on the bench, that's angry because they're not on the field and they should be playing because they're amazing, they realize they got to go through the filter of humility, because Dave Roberts is the manager of the team. I thought, wow, what a great thing to be said of a Christian like Dave. So that's the, the, the door we go through. We're, we're learning humility. We're learning this interdependence with one another. And then he comes to the final section that we'll cover this morning. It's found in Romans twelve nine. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to each other in love, in agape, and honor one another above yourselves. All of us have heard that churches are full of hypocrites, right? Anybody not heard that? Um, Every time I hear it, I just say, you're so right, you ought to come. I'm just saying, like, who hasn't been hypocritical? <laughs> but the command is for us to love unhypocritically. The word here is literally that. It's "on upakritos." On" means "un," and upakritas means "play act." Uh, we talk about fake news, this, the, fake love. Don't practice fake love. Practice true love, practical love. And that's what Paul is saying here. And that's exactly what the world wants to hear, that the church practices true love. We actually do what we believe. And that's what we want for each other. We want to be a part of a family that practices true love. And the word here is agape, which, as you know, is not uh, any of the other loves storge which is kind of a uh, nostalgic love when you're sitting by the fireplace with your dog and you say I just love these moments you know that's storge and when you say to your lover uh, I love you that's eros romantic love Uh, and and he doesn't talk about phileos which is brotherly love he talks about agape which is sacrificial love it's this word that was rarely used. It was used. Uh, in fact, it's used maybe eight times in the Song of Solomon in the, in the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament, 200 years before Christ. But that said, it, it was rarely used. And so both in, in religious and secular circles... Christians, particularly Paul, began to use it increasingly as he wrote the New Testament to say, This is the word that describes this sacrificial love that God showed us through Jesus Christ. And so he calls us to love each other that way. And that kind of love is something we grow and learn because most of us have not had good models of. Of that for us. In fact, for the last 60 years, our secular society has told us, you know what, Jesus taught love one another as yourself. And then the therapist says to you, well, you can't love others till you learn to love yourself. So we got to work on loving yourself before you can love others. And I would just say, you try that. You'll never get there. You'll never get to anyone else because you're still stuck on, I don't love myself. Well, so Jesus is not saying, that this is a chronological order thing where you gotta first love yourself. And by the way, I think the real issue is we don't like ourselves. We think about ourselves all the time because we do love ourselves. We just don't like what what we have. And so he's he's not saying first do this before you do that. He's just saying here that we we need to grow in, in how to love people. And that's where your true image is. That's where the transformed life is. The God life is loving other people. Check out this passage. Are you there? Okay. Uh, Philippians 1.9. One of my favorite all-time verses. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound, meaning that it would grow more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. The ball is slowed down, and now I know how to love you best. So if I'm getting to know you, and I say, you know, I wanted to give a gift to you, and I give you a rock and roll disc, CD, that... uh, and I don't know the fact that you hate rock and roll and you love jazz and I say I want to give you a gift that's really special to me and I give you dark chocolate VG's cake and I don't know you're allergic to chocolate and I decide to surprise you with uh, a surprise birthday party with a thousand people and, and you're agoraphobic uh, you know Obviously, it's dumb love. It's stupid love. You don't, you don't even know what, what they're all about. So what Paul is saying there is, as we grow in love, we're not only growing in how love works, but we're growing in our knowledge of people and how to love smartly. So there is a, a dumb love and there is a smart love. And Paul is saying that the transformed life is increasingly an intelligent love. It's a sacrificial love, it's a smart love, and it's learning how to love each other better. Because, you know, we don't know everybody in the world, so I'm not required to know how to love seven and a half billion people well. But the, the sphere of influence that I have, and you have, that I can learn how to love better. And what a great adventure. I mean, isn't that cool that your adventure is, is to discover how to love well? And that's how Jesus loves you. Aren't you glad? He knows your number. And he loves you the way you yourself need to love, be loved. So he gives us uh, this story at the end of his ministry in Matthew chapter 25, this story of smart love. And you know the story. He's separating the goats and the sheep and 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 the, the goats are the ones that just never loved. They, ever, they obviously didn't discover that God is all about love and, and they apparently didn't know God because God is love and they would have become loving. But then he says... Then the, 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 the sheep are those that uh, went to prison and visited. They went to the hospital and visited. They gave food. Uh, and Jesus says, you did it to me. And they'll say, when did we do that for you? And he says, inasmuch as you did it for the least of these. Not the greatest, but the least, the humble. You did it to me. And we realize, wow, the transformed life is not trying to be loving. It's, it's becoming who we really are. But here's the, the secret, the free toy inside. The free toy inside is in an act of love. You're actually serving Christ. Amen. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Did not know. I thought I had to go up on a hill and be all alone, and that's where I get to know Christ. It's also in those moments that you're discovering the God that you serve. And, and those are transformational moments. Folks, we are becoming like Christ, but that happens one loving act after another. One act of love after another. At the close of Jesus' ministry, uh, he also takes off his robe, and begins to wash the disciples' feet. Do you remember that? And how Peter says, no way, because it's this great act of humility, and he sees Jesus as the king, and Jesus is disrobed with just his servant's cloth on, and and he begins to wash all the disciples' feet. And then Jesus says, "Um, you call me Lord and Master, and rightly I am, but... Now this is what I've called you to do is to serve, to love one another. And so if you ask yourself, well, how do we do this? This, this is the ultimate act of love. And the answer is you transform into the image of Christ. You love others one foot at a time. You know, Jesus just picked up the bucket, and moved on to the next person, then moved on to the next person, then moved on, and so you don't you don't sit around concentrating. I hope I'm transforming. I hope it's happening because you have friends that will tell you, "No, it's not. It didn't work. Go back and <laughs> and concentrate some more." So how does it happen? It happens one foot at a time one foot at a time. So this is a radical new kind of spirituality that's a doing, it's a, it's a practical, it's full of love. Probably the parable that everybody knows the most about Jesus is the Good Samaritan parable, right? It's the one we all know. And Jesus told that parable to cut across the grain of this egoist kind of spirituality that the Pharisees practice, Because you remember in the story, this person is beaten up. He's Jewish. And guess who doesn't help him? Clergy. My profession. They're too busy serving God. They're going down to Jericho and I'm sorry you're beaten and bloody and everything else, but you know, I've got to serve God. I've got meetings. I've got Prayer meetings, I've got uh, scripture to read, and then a Levite, another clergy, passes by. But then a Samaritan, different race, someone out of town, someone who doesn't know the Bible well. He pays his own money, and it, the story to, to, to get him fixed up and, and house him and everything else. And the story is told to answer the question when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And the smarty-pants clergy says, yeah, but who's my neighbor? And then Jesus, at the end of the parable, says, who was the good neighbor? And the answer is the Samaritan. So today, take off your Superman robe. (laughs) Take off your amazing crown of of all that you're going to do and become a team player and then just love one practical moment at a time. And in the process, you are transforming into the face of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you at the cross that we saw your face the best where you died on Calvary for our sins. And before we pray for anything else, we just take this moment to make sure that we're all on board. And admit to you, Lord, we are sinners in need of a Savior. And we thank you for this great act of love where you paid the price for my sin. Come into my life and start me on this journey of transforming. And for all of us, God, here that are saying yes to you and following you, we thank you that you just don't forgive us and set us on a shelf while we wait for heaven. But heaven has come to us, and you are changing us from one degree of glory to the next. (laughs) And so now, God, as we go forth from here, open our eyes to see the opportunities that are all around us to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the people around us that they might know your face and know your love once again. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.